together this first day of the week. This third Sunday in the month of February this year, we're delighted that each of us have been blessed with a measure of health this day. Our Bible class hour in which we've been able to give thought to the Word of God in some aspect and make application to our lives has truly been an exciting matter already. The songs we've sung, the prayer in which we've engaged, the opportunity that's ours now to give attention to a portion of the Word of God. It was true that in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's our interest, our goal, to rightly divide that which God has delivered to us. And for the next few moments this morning, I would invite you to consider with me Matthew, the 25th chapter. As you know, our Bible reading through during this year has brought us now to the point that we have read some 141 chapters of the Bible. That's a bit less than 12% of the Word of God. In that reading, we have been challenged by texts in Exodus, Job, Genesis, and now Matthew. In fact, in our reading, we shall close shortly the book of Matthew and begin the book of Mark. This morning's lesson, drawn from and taken from that 25th chapter of Matthew, will highlight matters our Savior had to say relative to the kingdom of heaven. You'll notice on that slide before you, the disciples. This was now just a mere matter of a couple of days prior to the Lord's crucifixion. And as He had made observation that the very stones of the temple, not one would be left upon another, it led some of those disciples to ask of Him questions. When would this, when would this be? And furthermore, what about the end of time? As those disciples asked those questions, our Savior developed a powerful consideration of answer. In Matthew chapters 24 and 25, He answered those questions. And so today, as we come to chapter 25, we will cast a spotlight, a very bright one at that, upon the matters developed as Jesus answered questions about the end of time. I hope that for the next few moments you can at least give thought with me to the nature of the profoundness of these answers. Also, questions they raise in your life and in mine. It might be that as you look at that particular slide, you might find it a bit intriguing that here were questions surrounding the end of time, and yet you'll notice in the reading that Greg read for, Greg read for us a moment ago that the particular reading... Jesus likened to the kingdom of heaven. It may seem as though those are disjointed. Jesus, what does the end of time have to do with the kingdom of heaven? We're about to find out today as if you and I didn't perhaps know it already, but yet it won't hurt to be reminded that it is a basic matter, a fundamental one at that, that you and I as members of the kingdom of heaven have a keen understanding about the end of time what shall transpire, and how that those things will have an eternal bearing upon where you and I shall be. It is with that in mind that we come to the first 13 verses of Matthew 25. I'd invite you to notice it as we look at those verses together. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. 
And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. As mentioned previously, their questions had surrounded the end of time and the second coming of Christ. And yet the Lord used that as a teaching tool surrounding ten virgins. I would ask you to notice some of the specifics of a marriage festival in the ancient day and how that, that provides a backdrop. It provides us a platform of understanding to the events we have just read. In the ancient era, marriages were generally finalized in a way different than what they currently are. Typically, it went somewhat like this. A young man and a young woman made that decision to, to, to be married, and that constituted a betrothal period. Now, that betrothal was a bit more serious than our modern-day engagement. It basically was already a binding matter. Oaths were taken, decisions were made, promises were set forth. In fact, in Genesis 19, even though Lot's daughters were at that time betrothed, their fiancés were called sons-in-law. And again, it was a much more serious business in that day. And so, as you appreciate the statements made there, that betrothal period did reach a point of conclusion, and it did so with a marvelous and powerfully great final matter. The time would come that the bridegroom would proceed in a very interesting fashion to, to the household of, of the bride's father. And he would come and take her. It was a time of celebration. Often the, the, the roadway, the pathway, if you please, was filled with people wishing them well. Matters of celebration. It was a time of great mirth and joy. He would go to, again, her father's house and bring her to, to his or to his father's house where they would reside. She would be covered with a veil, and that veil was not removed until she was alone with the man that was now her husband. You'll appreciate that as those events unfolded, you can imagine now the backdrop here. Often, in, as, as he would go and get her and bring her again back to that place that was either his house or that of his father, again, there were those that would wish them well, and we notice here ten virgins are referenced. These were individuals that were friends of the bridegroom likely, and thus they were there to celebrate, to enjoy the festivities of that evening. You'll also notice that almost always that official matter of going to get her would take place at night. Sometimes, though, the hour at which it would take place was not abundantly known. In this instance, you notice the ten virgins... They were aware that that night was to be the night, but the hour they did not know. 
They prepared and made ready. Five of them brought their vessels. They also brought lamps with them. The other five, however, only brought their vessel or only brought their lamps. They didn't bring any extra oil. At this point, you'll notice in verse 5, it says the bridegroom tarried. Maybe it was late into the evening when ultimately he brought her back. But you'll notice that these virgins had gone ahead. They were waiting at the chamber, waiting there at the time so that they could go in and enjoy the marriage feast that was to follow. However, as you'll notice, the word came. The bridegroom's coming. He's coming with his bride. It's a time of joy and celebration. We're about to go in. The marvelous feast that's to take place is going to be a time of festivity. As they arose, it says, that they trimmed their lamps. We know that from the point of view of the ancient day, you'd have to break off the little wick that, that was then needed to be reset to light it again. And so as the foolish ones broke it off, they didn't have enough oil to relight it and to prepare the way and to go in and enjoy the marriage feast. They then ask of those that were wise, Give us of your oil. The wise properly said, Not so. For if so, there won't be enough or won't be sufficient for us in our continued preparation and readiness for the coming of the bridegroom. Thus, the instructions that they gave, Go and purchase oil for yourselves and then you can come back. As you appreciate the way that that continued onward, you notice that while they were gone to find for themselves that additional oil, the bridegroom, together with his bride, arrived. The time of festivity had come. The moment was now ready. Verse number 10 says that when they went to buy, upon their return, they found that the door was shut. Not only had the bride and his bridegroom, or the bride and her bridegroom, I should say, gone in, we notice that the door was now shut. The other virgins, the five foolish ones, did return. But it says in verse number 11, they cried, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But then this response was heard. I know you not. At that point, the Lord then ushered a final attribute of teaching in verse 13. That message not just intended for a hypothetical five virgins, but yea, for one and for all. Watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. As you reflect upon the events we have just read, I suppose it isn't that difficult to imagine it, but I would ask that you apply it with me and think about your life and as I do my own giving thought to the verb watch and what that entails. For after all, isn't it clear we would not want to be the five foolish virgins? We would not want to be likened to any one of them. Because notice, although they had made some preparation, they in fact had brought lamps. When the actual moment of celebration came, they were not ready. And they were forever shut out of the enjoyment. They didn't get to enjoy even a moment of it. For you see, the Master said, I know you not. Look at some of these applications, if you would, with me. First of all, as Jesus likened this particular matter, again, He said the kingdom of heaven is like this. You and I know that the church is often referenced as the kingdom. And could it be that the Lord is casting a powerful light upon you and I as members of the body, 
to help us recognize that even though we may well be or have been, we would never want to reach the point of being likened unto one of the foolish virgins. Oh, how wise you and I need to be, must be, if we expect to enter the place of the marriage feast. Maybe these comments are in order. The key verb to remember is watch, verse 13. And you'll notice it says, watch, therefore. That word, therefore, is a conclusion matter. It reminds us that what is now being asserted falls on the proof of what has been described in these previous 12 verses. Watch, therefore, for the Lord said, Ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The Son of Man is going to return. Jesus is going to come back. The certainty of what appears to be the order of events in this life, one day turning into another and that becomes a week which turns into a month which becomes a year, that appears to be a rolling, continuous, perpetual, ongoing matter. But there is coming a time when the Son of Man is going to return. The affairs of this life will be brought to a conclusion. The events will bring, be brought to a consummation. It'll end. In light of that matter, the Lord here said, Watch! That word watch, you'll notice, is affirmed as a commandment. It is stated with a thrust in the Greek language of a serious issue to watch. Maybe in light of that, we can also notice this. The Lord's second coming is a certainty. Although you and I don't know the day and we don't know the hour, we do know that it shall come to pass. And not only that, we understand our own death if that is a matter to be delayed. That second coming of Christ, our death is a certainty. We read in Acts 1 beginning in verses 9 and continuing on through verse 11, the amazing reality that on that occasion of our Lord's ascension into glory, we remember those angelic visitors who had words of wisdom for those apostles who were profoundly amazed to watch our Master rise into the heavens. On that occasion, wasn't it those angelic visitors who said, This same Jesus whom you have seen gone into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen Him go. Did you notice the verbs that were employed? He said, shall. He didn't say might, and He didn't say perhaps. He said, shall. The second coming is something that's going to occur. In light of that event, you and I, like those five wise virgins, need, need to be prepared and ready. Because again, we don't know when. And the only way to be ready is to stay ready. And the only way to understand that we should be able to be ushered into the golden marriage feast is to understand the needfulness and necessity of being ready. No wonder in light of that we come to, again, the tense is employed. Jesus said to watch, and that word watch is in the imperative mood. The voice is active and the tense is present. It's not a one-time watchfulness. It's not even a protracted period. It's an ongoing, every moment of everyday watchfulness. As you can appreciate with the means of that watchfulness, might I ask all of us then to ask ourselves this question. How often do you and I think about matters like that one? Life can be so full and so busy. We go from morning till night, rushed from one moment to the next, attempting to ensure that we accomplish what's on our to-do list. Do we ever stop and think about what's the most important? What if the end of time were to happen? Are you ready? And am I? 
All the events of this life will pale into nothingness if we are not ready. Because after all, what else ultimately matters? Notice these additional thoughts. You'll notice that these five foolish virgins tried to borrow the oil of the wise ones. And it was they who said, not so. Doesn't that help to teach us that in the final analysis, there's no transfer ultimately of godliness from one to another. You and I must appreciate that every one of us shall give account of himself to God, Romans 14, 12. And are we not reminded in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Those words of Paul were continually challenging to the church in Corinth, and they surely continue to be so even until this day. That transfer of godliness and the failure of anything like that to happen maybe challenges us this. Put yourself again in the position of one of the foolish virgins. Notice again, they slumbered and slept, just like the wise ones did. They tarried and they waited. But when the message and the word came, the bridegroom is coming, they began to get ready, or so they thought, but their oil was gone. Preparation was the key. Preparation was the fundamentally important matter that the Lord was trying to teach here. The five wise ones, they had brought their lamps, they had brought oil. They were ready for a protracted stay in case the bridegroom tarried. On the other hand, the foolish ones, they did bring lamps, but they didn't bring nearly enough oil. They were only ready for a shortened visit. What about your day of baptism and mine? On that day you arose from that watery grave of baptism, were you ready for a lengthy stay in faithfulness? Were you ready for 30, 40, 50, 70, 100 years of faithfulness if it were to be so? Or were you only prepared for five years, 10 at the most? Was Satan just biding his time until you'd become weak enough he could overwhelm you? It is something to consider, isn't it? You and I have been blessed with life until this moment. And we know not how many more years may remain. But we do know this, if we expect to enter the marriage feast, and may I suggest that Revelation 19 describes the entrance into heaven as the marriage feast. We are here discussing where you and I shall spend all of eternity. The five wise of virgins were blessed that they were allowed to be ushered right in and enjoyed forevermore the glorious joys of being with the bridegroom himself. But might we say the five foolish ones heard these words, I know you not. I know you not. But let's face it, they may have been sitting along that parade route, if you please, for hours waiting for the bridegroom to come. That didn't matter. I know you not. You weren't ready when I came. When I came with my bride, the glorious one with whom I have enjoyed and look forward to this time of celebration, you were unprepared. You were not ready. And now the door is shut. There is no entrance now. Doesn't that tell us that as we give thought to the day of judgment, the kind of message that unfortunately will be heard by perhaps many who thought they were members faithful at that of the church. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto this. 
perhaps many who were baptized. They knew the glorious joy of having sins forgiven, but over the course of time, they allowed themselves to be unprepared. They became slothful, they became lazy, they became and otherwise unready for whatever reason. And Satan gained the upper hand, and they heard words, I know you not. It does remind us slightly of that text in Matthew 7, doesn't it? When in verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I would suggest you note the difference in wording. There he said, I never knew you. Here it's, I know you not. The impression is he had known these at one time. They were faithful at one time. They were productive, powerful, efficient members at one time. But they weren't then. And when the master came, the bridegroom was here, the time of celebration was at hand, they weren't ready. It does make one think, doesn't it? As you analyze your life and as I do my own, are you ready? If the end of time is this afternoon, where will you be in eternity? Will you be welcomed into the marriage feast in the words of Revelation 19.7? Or are you like these foolish virgins in a position to hear, I know you not? The Lord may have known you a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, but what about right now? What about right now? I would encourage you to think again of Jesus saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The Christian life is such a beautiful life in so many ways, isn't it? It's a life filled with joy and blessing, a life that's in fact blessed with so many things the God of heaven offers us through, through His Son. But it is a life that you and I must live in faithfulness. You'll notice as you come near the bottom of that slide, the middle part onward, our Lord wasn't by any means finished. For you might ask, how do I make sure that I'm watchful? In what way do I live in such a way that that golden day can be one in which I'm ready? In verses 14 to verse 30, Jesus taught of the heels of this parable another one. This one is often called a parable of the talents, and I'd invite you to consider it with me briefly as we give thought to how can I be watchful? What do I need to do and what do you need to do to be watchful and prepared? This one is a bit lengthier. We won't read all of it in its entirety, but I'm sure we're pretty familiar with the basic way in which it proceeds. Jesus spoke of a man in verse number 14 and 15 who was going into a far country. And as he did so in preparation for that journey into a far country, it says, He called his servants and delivered unto them his goods. But then, interestingly, we find in verse 15, To one of them he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent. And then the master proceeded on to that distant place. You notice in verse 15, he gave these gentlemen, these individuals, these talents, according to their several ability. And then we recognize he straightway took his journey. But then we find something interesting. 
These talents make reference to allotments or amount of money. Quite likely it was a talent of silver that was under consideration, and if so, that would have been in our money at least around $1,500. So that five-talent man received about $7,500 if that statement of consideration be true. That two-talent man received, as you can well tell, about $3,000. And the one-talent man, a hefty sum, albeit, of about $1,500. And then we notice in verses 16 and following that the one that had received the five talents, it says, he went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. In the same way, verse 17, he that had received two, he gained two others. But then verse 18, the man that had received the one talent, the text says he went and hid it, digging in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. The text then says, after a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh. Did you note the phrase, long time? As a reference or as a matter of consideration concerning the duration of life, from our perspective, it may well seem a long time. However, you notice that he reckoned with them upon his return. At the bottom of that slide, you'll notice a reference that there was a significant amount of praise and commendation directed toward the five-talent man. Again, it says in verse number 21, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Our master made reference to the word faithful. I'm sure that reminds us a bit about these five wise virgins. They were faithful in light of the charge committed to them. They were ready any time the bridegroom came. You'll notice the two-talent man, he too is described as faithful. Verse 23, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. But you'll notice he does come then to verse, verses 24 and following. To the man that had received the one talent... I invite you to notice carefully the wording of the Master. He said in verse 24, then, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him that hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those thoughts at the bottom of that slide turn quickly from praise and commendation of those two to what you and I have just read relative to this one talent man. For you'll notice far from any commendation was a stern rebuke, a powerful statement of punishment. And verse 30 caps it off with a statement of, Cast ye the unprofitable servant. This one talent man was called unprofitable. 
He was called wicked. He was called slothful. And furthermore, it says, He was cast into outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May I ask you to notice some of those observations, many of which are almost self-evident based on the reading, but nonetheless matters that are so timely for us. First of all, 5, 2, and 1, given by virtue of several ability. The capabilities differed among those individuals. Although that initial reference of those talents was to money, we now see that our Lord has understanding of the fact that individuals are different. You and I have differing considerations of capability. But that must never be used as an excuse for doing nothing. Even the one-talent man was expected, and you'll note expected, in light of the language of verses 25 to 27. You should have given my money to the exchangers so that at my coming I could have received it with some interest. God still expects of all of us, though my talents or yours may be very meager, at least in our estimation. Maybe that estimation is a problem for some. Have you ever known of someone who, as they give thought to their own ability, I can't do anything. I don't have the ability to do that, and so they meander through life doing nothing, hoping that the day of judgment all will be well. In light of this, God expects, remember, the five wise to always be prepared, and He expects all of us, by virtue of our talents, to be likened unto those who are the five and the two, to putting to use that which God has allowed us to have. As you and I put that to use, notice this. God doesn't expect all of us to generate the same in terms of, of productivity. That five-talent man, he brought forth five additional talents and he was praised. The two-talent man brought forth two more. He too was praised. That two-talent man wasn't demanded to bring forth the five-talents amount. We should in indeed expect the one-talent man wasn't expected to bring forth the five-talent man's amount. Doesn't it still highlight for all of us, though, the fact that whatever abilities, capabilities, talents, and skills that you and I have, God does anticipate and demand that we employ them for His kingdom. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like. You'll notice yet another observation. Again, that word faithful. Isn't that such a sweet word? Two times, verses 21 and 23, we read, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. You and I, by the reflection of our life, quite frankly, in the mind of some, it may be just a few things. My talents are few, I fully admit. Maybe you feel the same about yours. But nonetheless, we are demanded by the God of heaven to be faithful relative to that few Jesus taught a different parable than this in Luke 19. It's called the parable of the pounds. And there we again see a highlight toward faithfulness and understanding that that's what the Heavenly Father expects of us. Five wise virgins, they were faithful. They were faithful relative to the duty discharged to them to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. You'll notice perhaps that leads us to this. What's involved in this faithfulness? As you think about your talents, and you, you know your own far better than I'd be able to estimate them, but I know my own better than you could estimate mine. 
Are you and I faithful at using them? Do we fritter away too much of our life in things that are wasteful, things that are not faithful? You and I might think about our money. We might give thought to our time, where we direct our energies. But I would submit that at least one thing that all of us can watch for, at least in light of this current Internet age, it occurred to me just to give thought to a question like this one. Sometimes I hear individuals at, at work make reference to, I've just wasted a little time on the Internet as if it's a fun thing. I sometimes think about that even myself. If you only waste a half an hour a day on the Internet, think about what that develops into if you're not awfully careful. A half an hour a day turns into a full week every year, which ultimately over a course of 50 years means you've wasted a whole year of your life. That's significant, isn't it? May we be a bit more cautious and remember the words of Colossians 4-5 in which there we're admonished and done so with great majesty to redeem the time toward those that are without. That redeeming of the time demands of us a, a productive usefulness and efficiency that brings us to realize faithfulness to our Heavenly Father. Maybe in light of that we come to this final issue. In light of what we've just seen in terms of the one-talent man, he was called wicked. That was the words of the one representative of the Master. And furthermore, we give thought to he was called slothful. That brings to our mind what laziness. It brings to our mind wastefulness. What about you and what about me? It's sinful, according to this parable, not to employ the talents and skills God has given us in ways that He would find approving. And so if I'm wasting my talents that way, you'll notice He said, take it away from Him and give it to one who will use it. If you and I don't use what God has given us, the parable teaches us He's going to remove it. Over time, it'll deteriorate to the point it'll not nearly have the prestige and capability it once had, and others, someone else, will have to do the work that could have been yours and mine. That's a shame, isn't it? That's an absolute shame. There's a work, the old song says, that we all can do. Even if it's giving a cup of cold water in His name. Jesus said that Himself in Matthew 10, verses 38 and following. Maybe in light of the parables that we've studied this morning, it's time to close the lesson and ask ourselves the perspective of where do you and I stand. The kingdom of heaven is like... Which are you? Are you more like the five wise virgins or are you one of the five foolish ones? Well, what about you? Are you more like the five-talent man, the two-talent man, or the one-talent man? If you today would be more like the one-talent man or one of the five foolish virgins, please, please do something about it today. The song of encouragement has been selected. Jonathan's going to lead us in that. And that particular song challenges us as an opportunity to come. Jesus died on the cross that you might live faithfully with Him now and of course look forward to being a part of those ushered in to celebrate the marriage feast. Don't let it be said of you on that day, I know you not. If you aren't faithful to the Lord, if you one time were but no longer are, come back to your first love. God hasn't given up on you. Why have you given up on Him? The parable of the five foolish and five wise virgins reminds us 
that the Lord wishes us to be ready, and He's told us to watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. These talents tell us to utilize what time we have in a productive and, fa and, and faithful way. Today, if you need to come forward, maybe you've never begun your walk with the Master. You need to repent after your belief, and you need to confess, you need to be baptized. If you've done that but have not been faithful, come back today to your first love. Beg us to pray with you and for you, and we'd be happy to do it. If today we could be of help to anyone, don't delay, don't put it off.